you would please stand for the gospel reading. Our scripture today is from Mark 1, 1 through 8. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning to everyone. This is the second Advent, uh, second week of, am I on here? This is the second week of Advent, and this is the season that we prepare ourselves for the coming of Jesus Christ. Last week, we, we actually focused on the second coming of Jesus. Advent always starts out by looking ahead to the end of time, to the second coming of Jesus. And then today, we back up in Mark's gospel, and we go right to the beginning of Mark's gospel as we start to now move our way towards Christmas, towards the first arrival of Jesus Christ. And Mark begins his gospel like this, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. And so Mark is now beginning an account of Jesus. It may not sound very dramatic to us. We might be pretty used to these, uh, these words, but it should, when you hear the words, the beginning in the Bible, that should kind of alert us. Something, uh, something really epic is about to happen, right? Because in our minds, we should probably go back to where? To Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so by beginning his account of Jesus' life with these words, Mark's kind of saying there, this is no less momentous than the creation of the world. This is an epic story I'm about to tell you about, the salvation of the world. And it all centers around this guy, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. So if, that, if you're a storyteller, Mark's a storyteller, what's your opening shot? Kind of what's your opening scene? You're going to open up. You're going to begin the most epic story of all time. How do you begin that story? Well, if you look at the other Gospels, you look at the Gospel of Luke, he begins in the temple, which makes sense. Last week I talked about how the temple is the center of uh, the, the Jewish world, their, their religious life, their cultural life. It makes sense to start an epic story in the temple. The Gospel writer of John, he, he does one better than Luke. He goes all the way, not the temple, not even on earth. He sets his gospel at, before the world's even created. He begins at the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now that is an epic way to start a story. But Mark, as he goes into his first, he makes this dramatic announcement about the Son of God, the Messiah. He gives some quotations from the Old Testament 
to kind of tell us, yep, this, this has been coming, this has been foretold. And then he pans down and we're in the wilderness with a character named John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is a character, isn't he? It's then and now, John the Baptist is and was a character. We don't get any background on John the Baptist. He's just, there's John the Baptist appearing in the wilderness. He's wearing clothing made of camel's hair. He's eating locusts, wild honey. He's doing a sermon series on repentance. And people are flocking to him. So eating locusts, I think eating locusts probably sounds pretty weird to us. Apparently, it's high source of protein and minerals. It's, it's kosher, so it would, have met the, uh, it would have fallen within the Jewish dietary guidelines. That wouldn't have been so weird. The clothing, though, from what I understand, would have been strange for them as it is us. This is not what you wear around the temple and the city. This is rugged dress. This is wilderness dress, which makes sense because, right, that's where John is. He's in the wilderness. He's somewhere along the Jordan River. Uh, if you go east, remember Jerusalem's up in the mountains. If you go east, you'll drop down those mountains. You'll go through some kind of wilderness, deserty area, and you will hit the Jordan River. I got a chance to visit the Jordan River uh, about a year and a half ago when I made a trip to Palestine, Israel. Even today, this area feels remote. So a couple thousand years later, obviously lots more development. It still feels like you're in the wilderness. And John, in this place, this unlikely place, is preaching about repentance. I was once uh, riding my bike through Columbiana, and I rode by this truck. In very large letters, it had the word repent, several places. And I, I found myself kind of curious, like, hey, like, like some people put like stick figure uh, families on the back of their cars. Like, tell me more about uh, this repent. But I mostly was scared. <laughs> Like, I don't know why, but, like, just seeing, like, the word repent in huge letters, like, I kind of wanted to flee from there. John the Baptist is breaking every seeker-friendly rule in the book. This is not a seeker-friendly strategy, and yet people are flocking to him. In verse 5, listen, the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Now, surely there's a little bit of hyperbole here. But nevertheless, this is a striking image. This is masses of people streaming into the desert. The only the picture that came to my mind uh, was Burning Man, which is this, this annual festival in Nevada where 70,000 people stream into the desert in the middle of nowhere. I don't think those guys are here going to hear about repentance, though. <laughs> I've never been to Burning Man. But I don't think there's a lot of preaching on repentance happening at Burning Man. Imagine if, if down near uh, Beaver Creek, near Rogers, there, word gets out, there's a preacher living off the land. He's wearing buckskin clothing. He's camping. He's living out of his van that has the big words repent on it. And people from Columbiana, East Liverpool, Poland, Canfield, they are flocking there. I think, I think we would wonder, like, what is going on here? Why do people head into the wild? Well, last March, Nicole Bettis uh, from Virginia, she, uh, she dropped what she was doing, and she headed into the wilds of Georgia to take a hike. But not just any hike. She went to hike the Appalachian Trail, which if most of you probably know, the Appalachian Trail is a 2,000-mile trail that begins in Springer Mountain in Georgia. It ends in Mount Katahdin in Maine. 
Uh, she had dreamed of doing this hike since I think she was very young, 12 years old. So in my mind, I don't know about you guys, if you hike the AT, if you hike the Appalachian Trail, you are epic. Like whenever our family goes east, I've got my map out and I'm trying to figure out when are we going to cross the AT so I can get a view, I can fanboy out at the through hikers that might be passing through. I really, I do. Like she, my wife can attest, I get like, I probably get a little giddy when I get around through hikers. But, but Nicole wasn't just your average through hiker. She had 15 children ages 4 to 25. I've read numerous accounts of people walking, hiking the AT. They don't typically have 15 children. That's not usual. So what does a person who has been dreaming about hiking the Appalachian Trail their whole life, has young children, how do they do that? How do they take six months off to, to hike the AT? No, seriously, like, do you, how, does, <laughs> I'm just, how does that work? Because I want to, well, here's, here's how it works. <laughs> here's how it works in Nicole's case. You just take the kids with you. Uh, you know, Rich thinks I'm crazy for backpacking in the winter. I got nothing on this woman. I have nothing. Uh, I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie this woman's sandals because she took 13 of the 15 kids. They all hiked with her most of the part of the way, but 13 of them finished this trail. And I thought, when I heard this story, I was like, my kids can never complain about hiking again. In fact, I was like, my kids can never complain again. That's what it made me think. Would drive a person to do this? Well, she, you know, I read a couple articles online. They were going through a rough time. She had, she was in the middle of a divorce with the children's father. A couple family businesses had recently closed. And she noticed this discord in the family, and she said she decided to leave the chaos and noise of the outside world and use their love of hiking and backpacking to reconnect with their children on this journey of healing. They needed to get away and regroup as a family. They needed a new beginning, a new start. There's something about heading into the wilderness that tends to draw people at critical junctures of life, people looking for a new start, looking for healing. Why is that? I think one of the reasons that is because in the wilderness, things get stripped back. Right? It's, I think we, I don't know, I'm just really feeling it this Christmas season. It just seems like stuff is just piling up in my life. Bills and appointments and, and health insurance stuff and Christmas shopping. And it all just feels like it's essential, like it has to get done right now. And it never feels like there's really enough time or energy to get it all done. I'm surely not alone this time of year. Right? There's, everything feels essential. Everything feels urgent. And one of the most helpful things when you go out into the wild, into the wilderness, is your perspective changed because you realize what is actually essential? Food, water, shelter, warmth, staying alive. Like a lot of the extraneous things of life begin to melt away because you, you can actually get a sense of what is essential. It's hard to do that in kind of the busyness of day to day. But being in the wilderness can be challenging too because in the day-to-day -day life, the good thing about all that busyness is it can distract ourselves from ourselves. And if, I'm sure some of you, have, you don't have to go out on a backpacking trip, but if you get out somewhere away from the noise, it can be a little scary because you begin to encounter yourself as you actually are. You don't have noise to kind of uh, uh, distract yourself, and so you have to kind of do some work of, of discovering yourself as you actually are. 
For the Israelites, the wilderness, it would have conjured up kind of mixed feelings. On the one hand, the wilderness was the haunt of wild animals. It was the haunt of demons and death. You know, it's not going to be very far from here where Jesus will encounter Satan and be tested in the wilderness. But it also had really positive connotations. Because for the Israelites, the wilderness was the place of hope. It was the place of new beginnings. Because centuries before, their ancestors, uh, this place where they're all streaming to, to see John the Baptist, their ancestors had been in this very same area, at the Jordan River. They had been freed from slavery by God in Egypt, or freed from slavery in Egypt by God. They had entered into a covenant at Mount Sinai to become God's people, They wandered for 40 years. The wilderness was challenging there. And the last place they were before they entered the promised land was on the plains of Moab, right by the Jordan River. Right in the area probably where we're at today. And so the Jordan is the last thing that they're going to cross through when they move into the promised land. And before they do that, Moses gives them a speech. And he really lays out two paths for them. He says, when you go into the promised land, you can choose life, meaning you can choose to love God, to keep his commands, and things will go well for you. Or you can choose death, you can disobey the Lord, and you can bow down to other gods and worship them, and things will not go well for you. And Moses, in the strongest of terms, encourages them to choose life. So these Israelites are streaming into the wilderness to John the Baptist. They're coming back to the place where it all begun because they need a new beginning. They need a reset. Right? They're backtracking to the place it started, and they're saying, we need a new start. We need a new beginning. We need a fresh start. Because things in the promised land have not gone as we hoped. Things had been rough. Uh, the Israelites had, had gone in as 12 tribes. Uh, they soon became a united kingdom, but that didn't last long. They divided into two. The northern kingdom, the 10 tribes, was conquered by Assyria, and those tribes were lost. The kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom, which we usually think about when we think about Israel, is eventually conquered by the Babylonians in 586 B.C. Many of the people are taken into exile in Babylon. They've returned to, Babel, uh, to, um, to Israel from Babylon, but things aren't the same. It still feels like they're in exile. It doesn't feel like they're free because one foreign empire after another has ruled over them, the most recent being the Roman Empire. So they're coming into the wilderness, into the well, because they need a new start. They need a new exodus. They need a new beginning when God would come and rescue them like he did in Egypt. And now here comes this guy, John, appears in the wilderness. He's drawing people from the whole region. They're streaming into the desert to hear him preach about repentance and a new beginning. Why? Because God's coming back. That was the prophecy they were waiting for. And there was an understanding that Elijah would precede that return of the Lord. And here's this guy who, in his camel hair clothes and his belt, he looks a lot like Elijah. So they need to get ready, right? Like they talked about in the children's time. They need to prepare. They need to repent. Now, there's different ways we can think about this word repent. Often we think about it as a turn from something bad or evil, evil, disobedience, sin, and a turn to something more positively, God. And it certainly is that. It's a change in direction. But metanoia, which is the Greek word, literally means to change one's mind. Uh, one person I've, I've heard give a definition is rethink everything you know. 
And think about it. when are you, when are we most open to making a drastic change like repentance? Whether it's stopping in our tracks and then going in a different direction, whether it's rethinking everything we know, is it when life is going great? Not usually. I don't, that's not been my observation experience. When life's going great, the, the, you want to stay with the status quo. You don't want to change anything. You don't want to change your life. You don't want to change your thinking. When are we most open to repentance when things are not going well? That's when we're open. When, for example, in the case of Nicole, like when businesses are closing and when a marriage has fallen apart, that's the time to head into the wild with 15 kids. These people that are streaming to John the Baptist in the Judean wilderness, they're ready to meet an eccentric guy preaching because things have been rough. They're struggling. They need a new start. Oftentimes, we need to hit a point in our lives where the pain of doing nothing is greater than the pain of doing something. That's often what, what happens. We, it's more painful to just stay where we're at than to change, and so we think, all right, we'll finally start to try to make a change. That's when we're open to change, and that's when we're open to hearing the truth. I, I don't know if you guys, have you guys ever had in your life kind of a modern John the, John the Baptist kind of person? I've had at least one in my life. They don't wear camels, they are clothed. They feel a little like John because they're not typically people pleasers. Uh, John is not a people pleaser, as you read the other accounts really uh, hit that home. But the person's not interested in telling you what you want to hear, but they're really good at telling you the truth. They're really good at telling you what you need to hear. Oftentimes we think about prophets in the Bible as foretellers, meaning they're predicting the future, and they certainly do that to some extent, and John is looking ahead the future. But they're also foretellers, right? Prophets tell things as they are. Prophets speak the truth. Prophets are not worried if they're going to offend you with what they're saying. John was a foreteller. John told things as they were. John told the truth. All these people coming to him must have been ready to hear the truth. Oftentimes, we're ready to hear the truth when we're tired of people telling us that things are fine when we know they are not fine. We need a new start. We need a new beginning. We need hope. When I visited, again, the Jordan River in 2022, I got to visit the place where, as best as we can tell, John baptized Jesus. And it was one of the most moving places that I was in all of Israel Palestine during my trip. And our guide, Nelson Crable, uh, we were coming from the Jordan side of things, so it was, little, it was less touristy than the Israel's, Israeli side. Uh, not a lot of people. He had us walk down to the Jordan in silence and, and, and remember our baptism. It was incredibly moving. Just as the Israelites were going back to the Jordan to remember where it all started for them, where they had covenanted with God, he was having us go back to the Jordan River remembering our baptism. What is your baptism? Your baptism is your beginning of your journey with God, is your covenant with God, is your covenant with other people, is your entrance into the church, the people of God. We as disciples need on a regular basis to go back to our baptism, to go back to the time that we crossed through the waters because we have a tendency of getting off the path, just like the Israelites. We have a tendency of kind of going off on places that are leading more to destruction than to Life And we need things stripped back in our life so we can actually see what is essential. 
What is at the center of our faith? All this stuff often, just like our lives, things accumulate that we think are essential that are not, the same thing can happen with the gospel of Jesus Christ and our faith. We begin to take lots of things, and our culture will help with this, lots of things that are extraneous to the gospel, and we begin to put that on the gospel, and that decenters Jesus. And we need to repent. See, the challenge with, with big, in my mind, big lettered signs with the word repent is it always seems to be pointing outward, right? It's never like the guy saying repent. He's not usually saying it to himself. It's always like, I'm okay, you need to repent. That's how I take it anyway. That's how I think I took it on my bike. You need to repent. That word doesn't come to me as good news. That comes to me as kind of bad news. Because it comes to me as kind of angry and judgmental, and it comes to me from someone who has placed themselves above me and wants to tell me something. That word, repent, makes me want to run. Again, the opposite is happening in our story. John is out in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance, and the people are streaming to him. They're flocking to him in droves. And here's what's interesting about it. It's Jewish people. It's not Gentiles. Like, there would have been a proselyte baptism where someone who's Gentile could have become Jewish through something kind of like baptism. That's not what's happening here. These are Jewish people coming to John for repentance. I think this is a word on several different levels for us. One, on a big, the church of Jesus Christ is, is always in need of repentance. It is very easy as a wider church to, to move away from what is at the center of our faith. It's also easy as just a local expression of the body of Christ. It's easy to just kind of think that, well, this thing we do on Sunday morning is kind of mostly a social club. Right? It's, it's kind of begins easy to think that this thing we do on Sunday morning is mostly for us and not for the world. It's easy for lots of things to kind of start accumulating around the gospel that are not at the center. And we need it for our own individual lives. Right? Remember, again, these are Jewish people coming and repenting. We as Christians need to repent. Because I think what repentance, remember what repentance is, it's rethinking everything. It's rethinking everything in the light of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Martin Luther famously said, all of life is repentance. Which means for us, the season of Advent, it is a season of repentance. It's a season of saying, where have we kind of decentered the gospel? Where have we decentered Jesus Christ? What extraneous things that are foreign to the gospel have begun to accumulate onto the gospel that we need to kind of strip back? Because in the wild, where we find repentance, we also find hope, we find forgiveness, we find a chance for a new start, we find Jesus Christ, the one who is at the center of our faith. In, both, in our passage, both the gospel writer Mark and John the Baptist are both doing the same thing. Pay attention to this guy. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. John the Baptist comes along and says, pay attention to this guy. John the Baptist is the best preacher because John the Baptist is always pointing away from himself to Jesus Christ. He is a herald of the gospel, just like you are heralds of the gospel. And how do we herald the gospel? We point away from ourselves and we point to Jesus Christ because he 
is the one where we find hope. He is the one who offers forgiveness. He is the one who offers healing. And Jesus Christ then and now offers us new beginnings.